Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. family. If you guys got your Bibles, head over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. That's going to be uh, this weekend, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, hey, um, while you're turning there, I just want to give you a heads up. Um, if you are new to our church, um, this is like the sermon that I would go, man, before you go all in here, I need you to hear this sermon. So like in some ways, I, for real, I, there, are, there is one specific section of this sermon that I prayed for our church to get smaller as a result of that part. So it's like, I want you to know who we are before you go all in because we got a lot of new folks here. And so we're just going to get right at it. First Corinthians 9. Now, um, on our way into this, uh, this deal today, let me, let me do something that's not going to seem related, and then I'll show you how it's related. So I'm like, as a pastor, I love like really bad, cheesy church signs. Um, people email them to me all the time. I actually have a folder on my computer where I keep all the best ones, and about once every three or four years, I've photoed up my favorites, okay? The best ones I've ever received, let me, let me show you this really quick, okay? These, these are my favorite ones I've ever received. So I got these about five years ago, and these were churches up in the Northeast. Go ahead and toss that first one up there. So it was, it was a Catholic church, Our Lady of the Martyrs, and they just tossed something out on their church sign that said, all dogs go to heaven, okay? Now, you know, it's like, ah, I don't know, but they're Catholic, so, you know, whatever. Okay, we'll just roll with it. So then, you know, that's a joke, by the way, okay? Don't freak out on me. Okay. Some of you are like, I'm leaving now. I'm not even waiting until later in the sermon, okay? All right, so right across the street at the other church, right across the street, go to the next one, uh, we got the Presbyterians. Hey, only humans go to heaven and read the Bible. And so now we've got like a little thing going on. You know, it's typical Presbyterian, you know, <laughs> that's our thing. So then like next week, we go back across the street and the Catholics got, God loves all his creations, dogs included. So now there's like a, you know, we got the thing. So let's, you know, next week, the Presbyterians are ready with their doctrine and theology. Dogs don't have souls. This is not open for debate. Okay, this is a very, very, this is a very direct conversation at this point. And so then we go right back, back across the street. Catholic dogs go to heaven. Presbyterian dogs can talk to their pastor. You know, okay, you know, it's like, <laughs> okay. So then one more, you go back across the street. Converting to Catholicism does not magically grant your dog a soul. Okay. Just making sure we get this theologically correct at this point. And then we, we go back, back. Free dog souls with conversion, you know. We're just handing them out now. Okay. And then let's go back. Dogs are animals. There aren't any rocks in heaven either. You know, again, we're just, you know, you know fizzling at this point. And then our final one over at the Catholic Church, all rocks go to heaven. We're back where we started. 
Okay, now, that may sound funny to you. That is actually like an accurate picture of what the Corinthian church was like in 1 Corinthians 9. Um, and I say that, we, if you're new with us, we are in a series we're just calling Following Jesus in a Jacked Up Church, where we are preaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of 1 Corinthians. When we get to this chapter, what you got to know is this church, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, is absolutely exploding because the entire church, instead of focusing, listen, on reaching people on the outside, they were fighting with everybody on the inside. And their mission was dying. And in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is like going, guys, stop it. It's like the dead walking in the living room and going, hey, let's talk about why this is happening and what you're doing to the cause of Christ. And so let me do this. I, I, I got a, um, one of my um, seminary professors, his number one rule of good biblical interpretation, he said, context is king. And so if you're going to understand anything Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, you have to understand the context of why this church was absolutely blowing up a controversy, okay? So this is not going to make sense when I say it, but let me explain it. There was one question that was splitting this church in half and turning it into— this church felt like a YouTube comment section in 1 Corinthians 9, okay? Now, some of you don't understand that, and for you who don't understand that, it felt like a Southern Baptist Church business meeting. That's, that's what we got all of us understand, okay? So this is what's going on here. This one question was like splitting this church and turning it into like, you know, a frenzy. And here was the question, okay? Should Christians eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols? Should Christians eat meat from animals that had been killed in sacrifices to pagan idols? Now, here's what happened, okay? In this church, you got a bunch of Jewish people over here. And they're like, bro, what's the big deal? Like, man, our, the Old Testament says, like, man, those idols, that, you know, those false gods, they're not gods at all. All they are is like hunks of wood, stone, clay, you know, all that stuff. It's like, man, like actually nothing spiritual was even happening. This meat is just like any other meat. There's nothing wrong with it, okay? Now, on the other hand, you had all these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people that are like, uh, actually, yes, there is something wrong with it because, hey, you're participating in that demonic thing that God saved me out of. Oh, and by the way, when you pay money to buy that meat sacrificed to idols, you're actually funding an evil system that like gets people sucked into it. And at the very least, it has an appearance of evil. So this question, should Christians eat meat sacrificed to idols, was splitting this church in half. And here's what was happening. Instead of focusing on reaching people on the outside, they were all just like consumed with fighting people on the inside. And here's what Paul does. Again, I'm, I'm just going to read a little bit and talk a little bit and read a little bit, talk a little bit, retalk, retalk, and then we'll be done. What Paul does in this passage is he goes, hey, here's how to think about this question. In Lake Point Church, here's how to think about every question in your life. There is no question in your life that is not touched by the principle that Paul lays down in 1 Corinthians 9. Now, here's what you got to understand, okay? I'm going to skip down to verse 24. In the first 24 verses of chapter 9, Paul goes through this whole deal where he talks about, man, I've got all these rights that I could righteously and justly be taking advantage of. He's going, man, I, you know, I could marry somebody and bring them along on, on my missionary journey. I could take this certain type of salary. I could eat meat, sacrifice. He's going, hey, I'm surrendering those rights. But then Paul says this, pick up with me in verse 24. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets a prize? Run, watch this, in such 
a way. And Lake Point Church, I want you to run in this way that we're about to read. In such a way as to get the prize. Everybody who competes the games goes into strict training. I'll explain this in a second. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like somebody running aimlessly. In other words, I'm not just like walking out my front door taking a leisurely stroll. That's not what's going on. He's going, I fight like a boxer beating the air. Now, what in the world is Paul saying in this passage, okay? Let me say it. And then let me, let me like illustrate it and explain it, okay? Okay. What Paul's saying is that winning people to Jesus, people coming to know God, let me just say it over and over again, okay? People being transferred from heaven to hell, from darkness to light, from nothing to Jesus. He says that is so important that it's like a race in your life. And here's what Paul's doing, okay, with this, all this right stuff. He's going, hey, listen, when you run in a race, okay, You don't ask the question, what's within my rights to wear during the race? You don't ask that question. Okay, good runners ask the question, what gives me the best chance to win? So think about this. Um, I ran a little bit in high school and college, all right? And so if you show up to a race and you show up to the race just asking the question, hey, um, you have a right to come to a race. If you're just asking what's within my rights, you have a right to wear anything you want to a race. Uh, If you want to show up in like boat shoes, a backpack, a football helmet, and a fanny pack, you can do that. That's like within your rights to show up to your 10K and all that, okay? But Paul's going, if you care about winning, you're going to lay all those rights to the side and instead ask the question, what could I wear that would give me the chance to win? Now, in this context, what Paul's doing, let me do my little Bible teaching right here, okay? Paul is saying, I chose not to eat certain foods that were within my rights as a Christian. I chose not to do certain things with my money that were within my rights as a Christian. Paul even goes, for him personally, he goes, I chose not to get married. And that was within my rights as a Christian. And he goes, here's why. Because I'm not asking what's within my rights. I'm asking what gives me the best chance to win as many people as possible. So let me just do this, okay? Track with me, all right? Paul's going, for your life, the wrong question. I I want this to be super clear, so I'll throw it over the screen. Here's the wrong question in your life. If you approach every decision going, what am I allowed to do? Wrong question, Paul says. Paul goes, here's the right question. Right question. What would result in the most people being saved? That's the right question. Okay, now, let's talk about this. Because Christians love to applaud and amen, and yeah, bro, I'm all in, that kind of thing, about doing whatever it takes to reach people for Christ. But the second you start going like, hey, I need you to move to a new service or move to a new place to help plant a church, or we need to do this thing or play this music, they're like, ah, they freak out, okay? So here's what Paul's saying. Here's why churches start fighting. Churches start fighting when everybody starts prioritizing their personal preferences over the mission of God. Okay, that's when churches start fighting. Now, let me give an example of this. Um, Names changed (laughs) to protect the guilty. That's what I'm doing because this happened at Lake Point, all right? So um, for those of you guys who are new, you know, know, my name's Josh. Welcome. I've only been here at Lake Point for just a little over three years. And before me, there was a pastor named Steve Stroop, like a generationally anointed leader that was here for 40 years before me and was a faithful Bible, that's right, faithful Bible teaching pastor, that kind of thing. 
And, uh, and so when Pastor Steve kind of passed the baton to me, um, you know, I was new and I was really the first new pastor this church had had in 40 years. And, you know, the vast majority of the church was super encouraging and super welcoming and embracing. Um, but, man, I know some of you would be shocked to know I did not have a 100% approval rating all the time. And so I know it's just shocking, you know. And so, uh, and so there was a guy that I'm going to call Bill today, Okay. And on the second sermon I ever preached at Lake Point, Bill, I stood right out in the lobby here at the Rockwall campus, and Bill beelined his way up to me, and he handed me a little yellow sheet of paper with a bunch of tally marks on it. He handed it to me, and he goes, here's how many times you said dude during your sermon. Okay? Now, as soon as he did that, I thought, man, this guy's going to be a real peach. I'm just going to love this, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and sure enough, Bill and I developed a very interesting relationship over the course of the next year, okay? Um, so, you know, a few months later, Bill grabbed me in the lobby, and, uh, and he hated the fact that I would tell jokes sometimes in sermons. And Bill was just like, man, the pulpit is not the place for casual humor, and you're usually not that funny anyway. You know, like, okay. Huh? Like, I disagree with half of what you said, you know? <laughs> kind of. So that, that was one. And then uh, we didn't change the volume of the music at all. But when we started playing certain songs, Bill kind of, you know, grabbed me and was like, I have music too loud. And, you know, what are you doing in my church? That kind of thing. And I know none of you feel that way. And so Bill, you know, there was that thing. And then, uh, man, like it was just a, a slip of the tongue. But there was an 11 o'clock service one Sunday where I said the word crap in a sermon. I just said it again right there, you know. And, uh, and Bill was just thrilled that that happened. And, you know, Bill had the Bible verse ready. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You know, all this stuff. And, so, and he handed it to me on a little sheet of paper. And, you know, it's just really obvious. Like, Bill just did not like me, you know, and a lot of things I was doing. One day, um, a couple months later after all that, um, I walked into the lobby. And I'm just walking around shaking hands. And Bill's in the lobby standing um, next to one of the exit doors, visibly kind of emotional. And I was just like, you know, you keep your friends close, your enemies closer. I'm like, hey, Bill, how you doing, man? You know, and so I, I ran up Bill and he just explained, he said, hey, um, so today um, my estranged daughter um, is driving in from Austin, Texas. And, uh, and he went on to explain that when she left the family, she also left the faith. And that she was coming in that day and that she had agreed to meet them at church. And it was going to be the first time she was at church in six or eight years. And he said, man, would you please pray that my daughter would meet Christ today? He was really emotional. And I prayed with Bill, and it was a really, like, unifying moment. And when I was done, Bill just looked up at me after the prayer with a gleam in his eye. And he said, hey, man, my daughter's going to be here today. So I hope the music's loud. I hope your jokes are funny. And I hope you say crap during your sermon. Okay? <laughs> now— let me ask you this question. Think about this for a second. Okay, why in that moment did Bill stop fighting? Why did he do that? Because when your heart breaks to the lost, you stop infighting and you start outreaching. That's why. Man, when you lose your personal preferences in a greater cause, everything changes. And you may be going, okay, yeah, well, what's the greater cause? Well, Paul tells us, look at 1 Corinthians 9, 19. He says, I have made myself a slave to anyone. Here's the cause, to win as many as possible. That's the cause, Lake Point Church, to win as many as possible. Let me, let me say a couple things real quick here. There's a few things I just need to say over and over and over. He says, keep it up there. He said, as many there it is. He says, as many as possible. So let me just say this, as many as possible. Every now and then I hear this. Man, Josh, Pastor Josh, you know, Lake Point Church, you guys are one of those big churches, and all you care, care about is the numbers. You're all about the numbers. Let me just say that, like, yeah. 
You know, yeah, yeah. We kind of are like, what do you want? Low ones? You know, I don't know. Like, so let me just say this. Yes, we are all about the numbers. We're all about the number of people saved, marriages restored, children adopted, churches planted, missionaries funded. Yes, we are all about those numbers. Because, because guys, listen, our goal is to win as many as possible. So that's the goal, to win as many as possible. All right, now let me apply this to you really quick. Do you understand God's goal for your life is for you to leverage your life that you might win as many as possible. It's like, you understand this? God doesn't just want to save you to do something for you. He saved you so that he could do something through you. And here's what the Bible says, that God has, it says this in the book of Romans, it says that God has, before the foundations of the earth, that he determined, he put people in their places, and he determined their allotted time periods and the places where they would live. It's like, do you understand this? Before the foundation of the world was laid, God picked what neighborhood you would live in. He picked what office you would work in. He picked who you would share your cubicle with. He picked where you would go to school. He's going, man, I didn't put you there to like save you to make your life like, like some vacation. He's like, I put you there for a mission and maybe you're in that spot, not so that you can like earn 10 more thousand dollars a year, but for the salvation of the person that you share a cubicle with. That, that's, why, that's why God did that. So he's going, man, to win as many as possible. Now, let me just, that's to you. Let me apply it to us, Lake Point Church. We just say it like this, and this is not original to me, but like this is a hill on which I'm willing to die, okay? Is we say it like this. We just say we will do anything short of sin to reach people for Christ. Yeah. We will do anything. That's it, man. Anything short of, man, you go, if you're going to clap, you got to commit. you got to go all in. We're going to do that, okay? We will do anything short of sin to reach people for Christ. So let me just say it like in a really straightforward way. What that means, and like it's really easy to get really excited about that, but like that's not always comfortable. Because that means we will always prioritize reaching the lost over the preferences of the saved. Man, and this is the spot in the sermon where like, man, if I feel a little emotional right now, it's like, because, because I am a little emotional. This is the spot where like, man, like, man, we have just had an unbelievable swell of new people in our church in the last few months. Praise God. I am so glad that you're here. That's awesome, man. I'm so glad that you're here. Dude, there are, man, and I don't say this, it's not a competition. Comparison sometimes just gives like perspective. But like, listen, there are churches that are like trying to get back to 50 and 60% of attendance. We're like 20% over pre-COVID attendance right now. So like a lot of you guys, that's awesome. But listen, listen, y'all are responding different in this moment than I expected. So like, it's my fault. All right, so just track with me, okay? Listen, there's a lot of you who are new, a lot of you who are new. And this is a spot where I say something like, man, we always have to prioritize reaching the lost over the preferences of the saved. This is a spot where like, if you're new and you hear that and on the inside, you're like, bro, I'm, like, honestly, I'm not sure if that's ever going to be me. Like, man, if you ever ask me to attend a new service or to serve in some way or to go to a new campus, like literally, I sometimes pray that people in our church would feel called of God to uproot their families, uproot their vocations, and move to a city where we are planting a new church somewhere else in North America. I'm like praying that God will do that with some of you. If you're new and you're like, I'm never going to be on board with that, I'm never going to be okay, like prioritizing, reaching the lost over my own preferences, let me just say something. Like, I love you. This is not the church for you. And let me just say it like something really straightforward. Listen, we need your seat. 
and we need your parking space. Because we are reaching lots and lots of people, and we need spaces for people who will have that attitude, a 1 Corinthians 9 attitude. It's like, I love you, but that's like for real, okay? So listen, here's what, now again, this is uncomfortable. This is uncomfortable. Check this out. There's something we don't realize This uncomfortable, Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 9. Check out verse 20. Paul goes, here's, here's what this looks like. He's going, here's what this looks like in practical life. He goes, to the Jews, I became like a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those not having the law, I became one like, like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. Are you getting it? He's going like, man, I will, without sinning, I'm going to become as much like the people I'm trying to reach in order to embrace them, to build a bridge over which the gospel can cross. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become, watch this, all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Now listen, that sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I don't think we realize like how real this was for Paul, okay? So check this out. This is going to blow some of your minds. All right, in Acts 16, Paul's got this traveling buddy, this dude named Timothy, like a younger guy who was discipling. And Timothy, so check this out. Timothy had a mom that was a Jew, but a dad that was a Gentile. And Paul and Timothy were trying to reach a bunch of Jews with the gospel. Now, here's why this is important, okay? For Jews, being circumcised was how you showed respect to your religious heritage. Okay, now anytime I talk about circumcision, I wanted to have a really good circumcision joke in here, but I had to cut it off. Okay, so let's just go. Okay. Let's just, <laughs> I probably won't do that on Sunday, but there it is. Okay, all right. So here we go. So for Jews, <laughs> Bill hated that. I'm going to see Bill in the lobby right now. That's it. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So for Jews, being circumcised was how you showed respect to your religious heritage. So check this out. Timothy had this Jewish mom, but a Gentile dad. He'd never been circumcised. So Paul and Timothy came sharing Christ to Jews that were already skeptical of them, when, uh, uh, that were already skeptical skeptical of them. And when they heard that Timothy hadn't been circumcised, it kept them from listening to his message. Okay, now check this out. <laughs> According to the gospel, like we're saved in Jesus apart from our works, Old Testament law is already fulfilled. According to the gospel, Timothy did not have to be circumcised. But in order to remove any obstacle from people being willing to hear about Jesus— Paul had Timothy circumcised even though he technically didn't have to according to the New Testament gospel. Okay, now, that gives a whole new meaning to have some skin in the game, doesn't it? That's right, that's, that's it, okay? Now, keep that in mind. <laughs> I, got, I got them for days. I got like eight circumcision jokes. I'm, I'm holding back. Okay, now, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind as the standard for being uncomfortable for the sake of the mission. Like, for real. Here's what I think Timothy would say to some people in North American churches. He would go, listen. He would go, hey, listen. I snipped the tip. And just, just track with me, guys. We're, listen, we, everybody knows what circumcision is. Let's, okay. This is what Timothy would say. He'd go, bro, I snipped the tip, and you're complaining about the music not being exactly to your liking? Like, for real? What he's saying is, man, all of our personal preferences and comforts take a backseat to the greater cause of more people in heaven, more people in heaven, more people in heaven, more people in heaven. Everything takes a backseat to this, okay? So listen, like Lake Point Church, Lake Point Church, this is why 
we aggressively pour ourselves into everything that wins more people to Christ. This is why we give so much to missions. This is, this is, why, this pa- this is why we have Lake Point in Espanol. This is why we're launching a Lake, that's right, man. This is why we're launching a Lake Point School of Ministry to raise up the next generation. That's right. By the way, our first class of Lake Point uh, School of Ministry residents are in this service. Can we show them how excited we are about it? Come on, man. That's right, buddy. That's it. All right. <laughs> this is why, like, we are, we've planted 50 churches, and our goal is to plant 50 more in the next five years. And I know, I, in fact, I heard this when we did our More Than Us initiative last year. It's like, man, Pastor Josh, we have so many of our own needs. We're growing. We're reaching people. We got stuff we need. <laughs> Somebody said this. Our campus doesn't even have a playground yet. Now, listen, man, let me just say, you'll be just fine. You're going to be just fine. You can be just fine. That city having a Jesus preaching church is more important than you having a new playground. Okay? So listen, we will do anything short of sin to reach people for Christ. Now, here's why. Okay, check this out. What's the motivation? Check this out in verse 23. Paul just says this. He says, I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. That I may share in its blessings. Okay? When you live for the sake of yourself, you'll always be miserable because you will always let you down. Listen, nobody in your life has lied to you more than you. Nobody in your life has hurt you more than you. Nobody in your life has broken more promises to you than you. If you live for you, you will be disappointed because you will always let you down and living for you will not satisfy you. Paul goes in this, he's going, man, do you want to know how to be blessed? You want to know how to experience blessing in your life? Live for the sake of the gospel is what he says. You do that and you'll be blessed. He's saying it like this. Let's just put it really practically. He's going, man, if you live for new cars, new clothes, new countertops, you are not going to be very happy very long. Here's what makes you really happy is one day you wake up and there's not new clothes, new cars, new countertops. You look around and there's new Christians, new Christians because of something you did with your life. That's eternal. That's blessing. New marriages, students moving their lives in new directions because of your investment in their life and ministry. That stuff brings blessing, okay? So that's motivation number one. Motivation number two is we just got to understand this. Again, I just want to give it to you straight from the scripture, okay? The reason we do this, guys, Christians are not just people who like Jesus. Christians are people who say that they want to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And what does the Bible say about Jesus? It says, man, The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. He's like, bro, that's like literally the center of my heart is I came for people who don't know me yet. In Luke 15, there was this one time where Jesus was hanging out with like all these prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. And all these like religious people who would have hated my circumcision jokes. All these religious people, no senses of humor. They're always angry at everything. They send lots of emails. All these religious people. They were like doing this thing and they're like, oh, he shouldn't be hanging out with those people. They're talking about these bad things and they're doing these bad things. He shouldn't be hanging out with those people. And Jesus goes, you guys don't understand anything. He's going, do you understand what my heart is? And in Luke 15, he tells three consecutive stories that reveal the heart of God. He tells a story about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then a lost son. Things that were ascending in value. And at the top of it, he goes, this story about the lost son, and he goes, When you lose a son, that's how you know at an emotional level what it's like to be God looking down at billions of people who don't know Christ yet. Okay, like, can we do this real quick? Okay, how many people, 
Okay, uh, group therapy, public confession. All of our campuses. How many people have ever lost one of their kids in a public setting? That is me. My hand's up for a reason. Okay, that's it. Okay, that's it. All right. Now, do you know what you do not do when you lose one of your kids in a public setting? What you don't do is focus on the ones that you still have and that are found. You don't do it. So like this, this actually just happened last year. Last year after KidQuest, it's like the Lake Point version of VBS. Last year after KidQuest, we rented out this big water park. And there was like a bajillion kids over the water park. Our middle daughter, Felicity, I'm allowed to tell this story because my kids get $5 every time I tell a story about them. And she said yes. Okay. Okay. So my, our middle daughter, Felicity, who is a little less self-reliant than our other one. Okay. Felicity just needs, you know, a little love, a little attention. I, we look up and Felicity, who's not the strongest swimmer, is gone. And it's like at Kid Quest, there's a million kids, there's pools everywhere. So I just start freaking out. I'm like losing my mind. I'm running all around the place. If you were there and I was rude to you, you're about to find out why, okay? So I'm running around figuring out where, you know, Felicity is. Here's what I didn't do when we realized Felicity was gone. What I didn't say was, you know, man, we still got two left. 66% ain't bad. I was like, I didn't go, here's what I didn't say. I didn't go, wait, you know, this is going to be cheaper anyway. All right, look on the bright side, you know? I didn't do that. Like, all I did was like, I got to find Felicity. I got to find Felicity. I got to find Felicity. That's the only thing that I could focus on. So when you lose one of your kids, you're not thinking about the found ones. The only thing you can think about is the lost ones. In fact, I was running around. If you saw me that night, like I was just walking around going, hey, have you, I had a little picture of Felicity on my phone. Have you seen Felicity? And a lot of people are like, no, I haven't seen her, but Pastor Josh, I just want to tell you, like, your preaching has changed our life. You know, I'll be like, hey, listen, I don't care. I'm trying to find my kid. Like, don't talk to me right now, that kind of thing. I'm going on, on and on and on. Essentially, my mentality was help me find Felicity or get out of the way. I, I'm just being honest. That was my fatherly heart in that moment. You can do one of two things. Help me find my lost kid or get out of the way because I, I can't handle one of my kids being lost. And I think what God's saying when he's saying, hey, he tells a story about a lost son. He's going, man, when there's churches and people fighting about things like, why is the music got to be like that? Why are we planning another campus? Why do we make the logo like that? I think God's going, how could you possibly ask me a question like that when I've got kids missing? How could you possibly do that? Help me find my lost kids or get out of the way. That's what 1 Corinthians 9 is saying. Okay? Now, this is what I've seen. I like you. Whoever you are, I like you. Okay? Okay, now here's what I found, is that most Christians, can I be really honest? I want to give good news, okay? Most Christians want to do this. They want to be used by God to help people make it to Jesus. It's just that they don't know how. It's like they don't know how. And when you've seen it done, like it's been, it's, you've seen it done just really cringy. Like this is, literally this is my, 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 my thing. In seminary, I took a class, it was door-to-door evangelism at, at our church, okay? And so door-to-door evangelism, you guys remember this? You know, you, some of you do. You'd walk up, you literally knock on the door, and there was like a series of questions. Like, if they say this, you say this. If they say it's like, choose your own adventure, you know, all the way down to the bottom, okay? And so like, man, knock on the door, and the first question was, man, uh, if you die tonight, do you know for certain whether you go to heaven or hell? That was the first question. And the person who taught the class, they were like, hey, guys, um, you know, nothing happens without prayer. So before you knock on any door, pray before you knock on every single door. And I did that before every single door I knocked on. I, Dear God in heaven, please let there not be anybody home behind this door. You know, it's like, I was, I was just like, man, I just, and it's for real. Like you've seen some things 
some evangelism done in just really weird ways. Now listen, if you do door-to-door evangelism, God calls you to do that. Seriously, like actually applause, bless you. Because I like your bad, it's not a bad way, but some people would say it is, I like your bad way of doing evangelism better than a lot of people's way of not doing it at all. So let me just say that. But let me just do this really quick. Like when we look in the Bible, let me just give you some really practical. If you're going to write anything down, here's your spot. Here's in the Bible some ways to help people you love come to know Jesus. So let me, I'm going to run through these really quick. Okay, number, so first of all, this is some of you, you're like varsity, varsity, and you're like in the spot. You can sit down, share the whole gospel with somebody, ABC, admit you're a sinner, believe uh, Jesus died for your sins, confess he's Lord, like you're in. I'm talking to people who are like, man, I don't know if I'm quite there yet, okay? So let me just help you out. So here's one thing you can do. You can start with invitation. Okay, and let me just say this. In just inviting people to come somewhere to hear the message or see and experience the ministry of Jesus. At Lake Point Church, let me just like, if I wish I could like go to every seat at every campus and give every single one of y'all like A plus gold stars. Because right now, that's, again, that's what we're seeing at every single campus, just a groundswell of new people that are coming because you are crushing it, inviting people to come hear the life-giving good news of Jesus. So you're doing awesome. That's awesome, okay? Now, this is a totally biblical way to do this. Check this out in John chapter 1, okay? So this is Philip. Dude eventually becomes one of the apostles. So Philip, they first meet Jesus, and it says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathanael goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? He asks like this theological question and check out what Nathaniel does. He goes, man, actually, I don't know the answer to your hard theological question. Here's what I can do. J- just come see. Like, like just come and see him, said Philip. So inviting somebody to a place where they can hear the life-giving message of Jesus. This is a biblical way to help people come to know him. Now, let me just speak to the moment. Guys, in two weeks, two weeks from today is like our Super Bowl. It's like Easter. Easter, okay? Jesus is risen. The tomb is empty. Anything's possible. So like, you need to know this, all right? In two weeks, this is literally your best chance to invite somebody to hear the message of Jesus all year. Like where we live, 80% of people statistically would say yes if invited to a church service personally on Easter, 80%. Missionaries all over the world would cut off their left arm to have an 80% hit rate on people being invited and saying yes to come hear about Jesus. Do not miss it. Now, let me just say this. You inviting people to come hear Jesus preach at Easter, that's easier for you than me. Like, what am I, I'm going to be like, man, come hear me preach. My mom says I'm amazing. You know, it's like, I don't know what I'm going to, so like, you, listen, you do what I can't do. I can't know all your friends. And I will that day try to do what you can't do. Explain the gospel to those people in a way where they want it. By the way, this is why we do this. Some of you think it's real cheesy. I don't care. This is why this week is free t-shirt weekend. Like we want you for two weeks walking around with those things, just going, man, I love my church. Do you want to come hang out? It's just a conversation starter. Okay, so number one, invitation number two, biblical way to share your faith, sharing your story. Sharing your story. Okay, John 9, 25. It just, I love this story so much. I wish I had time, okay? So, all right, Jesus heals this guy that was blind, okay? And then all the angry religious people, they get together, and they, they don't like Jesus. And so they start peppering this guy that, this is mind-blowing to me. They start peppering this guy that just got healed of blindness with theological questions. He can't be the Messiah. He doesn't fulfill all the prophecies. How do you know? What makes you think that he's the Messiah? You know, this guy's got to be a sinner, Okay. 
So check this out in verse 25. He goes, hey, listen, whether I don't know the answer to all your hard questions, he's going, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. He goes, one thing I do know, I was blind and I can see now. Like, like I know that. So, so listen, like, you, you, can, you can do that. Like, man, sometimes sharing your faith is going, man, I don't know the answer to all your weird questions of evolution and dinosaurs and why does the good God allow you? I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I know. I was this and now I'm this. I did have this and now I got this. Man, I was, here's what I know. That's all I know. Okay. So listen, the biggest reason people don't share their faith is they're like, maybe people are going to ask a question I can't answer. Guys, listen, let me, let me just, uh, just track with me. Okay, ch- check this out, Eight, Acts 8.1. Jesus said this. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my what? My? Well, it didn't say lawyers, did it? Didn't say that. Now watch this. Do you guys know the difference between a witness and a lawyer? A lawyer's job is to make an airtight case. A witness's job is just to tell their side of the story. That's your only job. It's just to go, man, here's what happened to me. So like, let me just address another category of people at Lake Point. There's a large group of people right now. There's a lot of you who like hundreds of you who you're brand new Christians, like you're new to the faith in the last two months. You're cussing your prayers. You're putting weed in offering buckets. Some of y'all think I'm joking. (laughs) Uh, And you're like, man, I can't share the gospel because I've done a bunch of bad things. Listen to me. You're the best evangelist we've got. You're the best ones we've got. Because like, you know the lost people, you got relationships with them, and you can just go, man, here's where I was, here I am now. Here's what Jesus did for me. That's all you got to do. Just share your story. That's it. Ah, oh, man, I don't have time. Okay, that's it. Share your story. Okay, last one. Last one, okay? You can simply do this. You can just serve. Man, just serve. Okay, so track with me. This is one of my favorite stories, favorite, favorite stories, okay? It's about a spiritual hero of mine, but you don't know who it's about, okay? In 1934, in Charlotte, North Carolina, a guy that none of you have ever heard of, except if you've heard this exact story before, was doing a tent revival. So this guy like walks into Charlotte, pitches a tent, starts telling people to come here about Jesus, and uh, it's a guy, like I said, you've never heard of. He didn't write any books. He was not on any radio programs. He never got invited to the White House. No TV shows. This guy's name was Mordecai Ham. In that day, in 1934, in Charlotte, North Carolina, that tent revival was packed. And five minutes after the service started, two 14-year-old boys walked up to the tent meeting, but it was full. And as the story goes, these two kids, they walk up and they look and there's no seats and they start leaving. And as they start leaving, an usher from the back sees them, sprints to them, taps the guy on the left on his shoulder and he says, hey, I'll find two seats for you. And he found these two kids seats. And that day, these two 14-year-old boys, both at the same time, ended up giving their lives to Christ. One of them was named Billy Graham. And Billy Graham, hang on, Billy Graham preached to more people than anyone has ever preached to in the history of the world. Millions and millions of people. And the other one was a guy named Grady Wilson. 
And Grady Wilson helped, helped Billy Graham organize every single one of his crusades his entire life. And he changed the world. He. Not Billy Graham. Not Grady Wilson. That usher. That usher did something that day that changed the course of the world and changed eternity for millions of people. This little thing that resulted in millions and millions of people coming to know Jesus. Every single week, you have a chance to do that. So listen, here's what I want you to do right now, okay? If you serve regularly at Lake Point, everybody get out your phone. Get out your phone right now. Get out your phone. This is one time your pastor wants you to play with your phone during the sermon, okay? Hang, hang with me, okay? If you serve regularly on the weekends at Lake Point, I'm not talking to you. You keep doing what you're doing, okay? If you don't serve on the weekends at Lake Point, I'm not asking you to serve forever. I'm not asking you to hop into a ministry till Jesus returns. Here's what I'm asking. I am. I'm asking you to give us one week. I'm asking you to consider serving for one week on Easter. And here's why I'm doing it. Because in two weeks, we are going to cram more than 40,000 people into Lake Point services to hear about Jesus. 40,000 people. And listen, listen to me. We will not be able to do it unless it's all hands on deck to serve so that people can find life in Christ. So here's what I want you to do, okay? If you're willing to give us one week to serve in either kids ministry or host teams, those are the only two we're asking. Right now, like literally while I'm talking, would you text the word serve to the number 20411? Text the word serve right now to the number 20411, and you are going to do something right now that is going to enable us to reach hundreds and maybe thousands of people with the gospel by serving for one week at Lake Point, okay? Now, do that. If you're doing that, ignore what I'm about to do because what you're doing is more important. At all of our campuses, what I want us to do is it's true that no, no, nothing lasting happens on earth that's not birthed in heaven. And so right now, I want us to pray for the people that God is putting on our heart that are far from God but close to you. And so could you do this, okay? Just think of that person who is far from God but close to you. And man, um, in the early church, what they would do is sometimes they would stretch out their hands as a, a physical sign of prayer, of offering something to heaven. At all of our campuses right now, would you just like lift your hand forward and heavenward? It's almost like you're bearing that person's name. It might be a son or a daughter. It might be a friend or a coworker. You're bearing that person's name before God. And man, right now, can you just, would you pray with me? Father, we willingly today surrender our rights so that by all means possible, we might win as many people as possible. And so God, today, I pray for sons and daughters, friends and coworkers, moms and dads, neighbors. And I pray today, God, that your Holy Spirit will begin to pursue them, soften their hearts, unblind the minds of people who have been blinded by the God of this world, the devil, like your word says. 
And Father, would you open their eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus? We just want to see them in eternity with us, with you. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen, 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 amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. Lake